Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of April 16th, 2020, including the ESRB has added a new box logo reflecting games with microtransactions in them. Rockstar Games has made the news rounds once more regarding crunch and game development. I'm playing an absurdly Japanese game right now, and more. Before we get into this week's proper segments, I just want to do a little aside about Gamerscore, something I don't talk enough about. You know, Gamerscore, I think I have a relationship with Gamerscore, very similar to the relationship most Xbox gamers probably have, which is that, you know, in the early Xbox 360 days when Gamerscore and achievements were such a novel idea, I was so hooked on it, and it was one of those things where I knew I was never going to be because I'm not just, you know, I just don't have the time and the patience for most games, and I'm just not that good at games overall. I knew it was never going to be a thing where I was going to be like, uh, I won't touch a game or ever play it once, you know, if I can't get a thousand gamer score on, if I can't 100% every game I play. So I'm not, I was never that bad, but I did go through a pretty good phase in the early to mid 360 days where it was like, if I really loved a game, I was going to try to get 100% on it, or at least as far as I could, especially with games like Left 4 Dead or like Halo 3 or like a Guitar Hero game. Games I was just really into, I always tried to get as close to 100% as I could. And then, you know, towards the end of the 360 era into like the Xbox One era, I was like really like, meh, achievements, I'm, I'm kind of over them at this point, you know? I like to watch my gamer score climb, I understand it will naturally happen as, you know, Xbox goes on and you play more games. So, you know, I'm okay with the fact that most games you play, you're probably going to have somewhere between like 25 to 45% completion if all you do is really just play the game and then move on to the next game if you don't really try to hunt for all the achievements. So I've, I've, I've been okay with that. But about two years ago, or whenever it was, I, uh, I got this achievement. And now I knew these existed, but I got this achievement that really kind of just soured my opinion on achievements altogether. And it was, I think a lot of people might be familiar with what I'm about to say because through my research on this topic, it seems like a lot of people had a similar experience to me. But I played a game called Overcooked for the first time, a game a lot of people are probably familiar with. It's a it's an indie couch co-op game, uh, a little cooking game. It's it's great for, you know, friends or, or, or couples to play together, whatever. And the problem with this fucking game is the second you boot it up and you press start, you unlock this stupid achievement for starting the game. First of all, fuck you if you give someone a... There are a few games that do this. I think Kung Fu Panda might have been one of them. I don't know why I remember that. But there are certain games that give you like an achievement for pressing start at the start menu for the first time. First of all, fuck you if you put that achievement in there. Ain't no one proud of pressing the start button for the first time. That's nothing to be, that's nothing, that's not an achievement. That's nothing anyone has achieved or or should should show on your shelf. This, this should be the thing about an achievement. If you're going to put, uh, think of it like a real life trophy. Would you put this trophy on your shelf for pressing the start button for the first time? No? Okay, then don't, don't put that achievement in the game. But anyway, that's aside the point. The problem with this achievement is it's only worth one gamer score. So if you are, you know, everyone knows gamers, gamer, achievements are worth, you know, they're in at least five f- increments of five or more, right? So it's like five, 10, 15, 20. It's always by fives. It's never by 
an odd number less than five like you never get an achievement worth one or two gamer score there are a few games out there that do intentionally do this and and what i've learned through looking at games with these achievements list i, I went down a rabbit hole this week really digging into this but you know if you go to trueachievements.com a great website um you can really like go down the rabbit hole of games that have achievements with weird gamer score numbers and and what you find is most games that do it in fact halo reach is a perfect example of a pretty mainstream xbox first party game that does this but most games that do this usually do it in like a there's two achievements with off gamer score count and they're whatever the first one is you're equally as likely to unlock the second one so let me explain what that means so if so let's say in halo i don't remember exactly what the two achievements are but like there's like one achievement that's worth like 29 gamer score and one that's like 44 gamer score does that add up what, what is it like no that way it's like once you unlock both of them it evens out to round number i should use easier numbers because my brain doesn't understand math but basically it's like you know it's like one achievement's worth one gamer score and one achievement's worth nine gamer score that way when you unlock both of them it rounds out to 10 gamer score and it doesn't fuck your gamer score count that way if you have 50,000 gamer score it shows us 50,000 not 50,001 which pisses people off you want that clean number the end of your gamer score count should always be a zero or a five it should never be a one a seven a three anything stupid like that but you know most games like halo reach have those kinds of achievements set up for where if you get one the other one is just as likely to get so that it evens out it's like a it's kind of like a mind fuck it's kind of like a oh well i have this achievement that put my gamer score count off but look oh i can the other one's pretty attainable so let me just even that out it's it's like a little like meta play there I, i i like it. it's fine i'll accept it i don't prefer it but it's whatever but no there are games like overcooked that just kind of fuck you over they're just like here's an achievement worth one gamer score see ya and they just fuck your gamer score over for life so i've been obsessing this week over trying to fix this trying to find a a cheap game i can buy or maybe something on game pass where i can get some easy uh achievements worth like four gamer score or something so i can even it out because right now i'm at like forty nine thousand something hundred and one and it's really pissing me off. And I'm, I, you know, I started slowly taking achievements serious again. I'm not trying to hundred percent everything, but I am trying to get my gamer score climbing up there. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, you have an Xbox podcast. You've been playing Xbox since the earlier Xbox Live days. Why is it that you only have just under fifty thousand gamer score? Like you should have more than fifty thousand gamer score. You know, you don't have to be obsessed with this, but for someone who's been on Xbox Live as you, who's as into Xbox as you, you say you are, you should have like at least seventy, eighty, ninety thousand gamer score. You know, that's a pretty reasonable number for someone who's been in this as long as you have so i'm just trying to like make up for lost time a bit and get my gamer score up there but it is driving me crazy that there is a one at the end of my gamer score count so i spent you know like all day the other yesterday trying to figure out you know what's the game i'm going to play what's the achievement i'm going to go after to fix this it looks like now I, i would normally never play this game but it looks like the game one of the games that's easiest to do this in is dead island so this is a tip for any of you if you're if you're fucking senile like me and and this is driving you up the wall then go ahead and download uh dead island definitive edition the one the re-release of the game on xbox one not the original 360 version because the achievements list is different um but if you download the definitive edition on xbox one first of all it's on game pass so you don't have to pay for it it's just there and second of all it has tons of achievements that are worth like 26 29 32 gamer scores stupid shit like that so if you're in a situation like me where you want to get where you're being super anal about this and you want to get that gamer score count back out to a round number a normal number then download this game and try it out that's that's my plan 
for sometime in the near future is I'm going to jump into that game and try to get this rectified so I can continue climbing in the achievements rank and, and not be driven to madness by what my 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 overall round number is. But yeah, that's just something I got to say on my mind. First of all, Xbox, please, for the love of God, institute a new a new order where like no one can publish a, an achievement that isn't in like the traditional increment of like 5 10 15 20 you know like stop this bullshit of gamer score that ends in like a 4 or 2 or something like that it's got it's got to stop it's driving me nuts and and from the message boards i was reading it looks like it's driving a lot of people nuts so had to get that off my chest but with that said we will get into our normal segment so thank you for bearing with me on my quick rant that's right most podcasts these days are opening up with a little heartfelt message about the coronavirus fuck that we're here to talk about achievements we're here to talk about gamer score because that's that's what's really on everyone's mind at, at this current time. So with that said, we'll get into some comments, shout outs, concerns, thoughts, ideas, whatever from last week's uh, episode brought to you, the listeners via YouTube comments. It's almost always YouTube comments, but feel free to leave some some dirty reviews on iTunes. I could really use the support, guys, please. I don't want to have to launch a Patreon and become the most successful content creator on the internet, but you leave me no choice. If you don't start five-starring me, I'm going to have to launch a Patreon and start begging you. I might even start paywalling this show. Who fucking knows? That's your problem. I might require you to give me $10 a month just to listen to this incredible show about me bitching about achievements while everyone out there is losing their job and dying from a a life-threatening virus. So our first comment this week comes from Lethal Migraine, who, by the way, Lethal Migraine, I... I really appreciate your participation in the show. You comment frequently. I really appreciate that you listen to the show, and I appreciate that you comment regularly. I feel like you kind of had it out for me a little bit last week. You know, I, I have, hey, if you disagree with something I said, I'm more than happy to have you come out in the comments and say so. Um, but man, it's just like a, a lot of comments call me out this week, but that's fine. You know, if I'm off my game, then I deserve to be called out. I'm not telling you to stop doing it. I guess I'm just telling you that I have a, a bruised ego, perhaps. But let, nonetheless, let's let's dig into some of your comments. You said, I feel like you're expecting too much. And this is in regards to Microsoft not really pushing games like Bleeding Edge and their smaller releases. He says, Compulsion has a small team. Compulsion, of course, being the team behind We Happy Few. Uh, Bleeding Edge was created by seven people. And now that game is up to only 15 developers. As for Grounded, it is also just a small team working on it. It wasn't a full ninja theory team and it still isn't full obsidian so he was talking about you know how i was saying i think if microsoft's going to put their stamp of approval on a game regardless of whether it's halo or bleeding edge you should kind of roll out the red carpet and really treat it with a marketing push that's not to say you give bleeding edge the marketing budget that you give halo infinite but it is to say if both of those games are going to be xbox game studios games you should you should kind of make a big deal about both of them, even, you know, whatever a, a, a big deal is relative to that specific game. But it seems like some of these games just kind of come out in early access and they're kind of hush hush and only the niche community that ends up playing these games really ever talks about it. And for the most part, you know, I can ask pretty much any guy I know who just casually plays video games. Oh, have you played Bleeding Edge? And they'd be like, well, what the fuck is that? Are you excited for Grounded? Well, what the fuck is that? And I guess that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying. Uh, you might want to make the, the general public a little more aware of these games, although I do understand you're probably not trying to reach the I only play Madden Call of Duty crowd if you're if you're publishing a game like Grounded or Bleeding Edge, but whatever. I think somewhere in the middle of all this is a is a fair argument. But anyway, he also comes in with a uh, uh, just an FYI. South Korea was one of the first xCloud test countries because 
they play a lot of mobile games and have phenomenal internet speeds. Phil put it there first. It sounds like they use it more than any other country that has access to it. Uh, to be fair, this is kind of more just me backing myself up. I did know this. I have mentioned this in previous episodes that, of course, South Korea has Project xCloud. Um, but I was just kind of throwing a blanket statement that Korea and Japan were getting xCloud and Game Pass. I should have clarified. They're both getting Game Pass. Japan is just now getting xCloud. Korea has had xCloud. So thank you for the clarification, Lethal Migraine. And now I'm going to go cry in the corner because... What I, I'm asking you guys for five-star Google reviews and Apple iTunes reviews, and instead you're pointing out my, my flaws and you're, you're, you're showing how thinly veiled my ego is and how, how fragile I am, and I just I, it hurts. But thank you for the correction. I, I want this show to be as factually accurate as humanly possible, and I refuse to hire a fact-checker. So thank you for volunteering to do that. You are now working for free. So our next comment here comes from my nephew, Zeke, who says, I think having Xbox games come to Steam is very smart because as a PC gamer, I love having all the games in one place. So having the games on that platform increases the chances of me buying it because honestly, I'm not going to buy a game off the Microsoft Store. This is in regards to me saying, I don't really understand why Microsoft is putting their games on Steam. It makes it makes sense, but it also doesn't make sense. They should be trying to push the Xbox native app, but obviously that hasn't been working for them, and that's why they've defaulted to Steam, or that's why they've started using Steam and, and, and embracing it. And so to to my nephew, in, in response to his, his comment, his run-on sentence, uh, I, I said, shut up, nerd. No one cares. And then our last comment is from our 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 our, our guy, dear Captain Dear Captain James. <laughs> Dead Captain James, who says, I'm in my thirties and I grew up with Honey I Shrunk the Kids. I had no idea I wanted a game like Grounded until they revealed it. I'm very much looking forward to it in, in its early access. I think the industry has moved past singular launch dates, and we have seen time after time some games get a second wind and become bigger than they were in their original launch. I think this is a really fair point, and this actually kind of plays into what Lethal Migraine was touching on a little bit, which is that, you know, it's not, every game has its own launch strategy that would work best, depending on, you know, what kind of game it is, what kind of audience it's going after, and this is very, very true. I responded to him saying, you know, the key to multiplayer games is a strong community. I guess that that alone warrants more of a community-oriented launch. So if you're going to have a game that's all about, you know, like Bleeding Edge, where it's all about multiplayer and if the community thinks it's balanced and fun and the characters are good and the map variety is good and the mode variety is good and everything's, you know, just engaging and fun enough to keep playing, then it's really not so much about pushing it out to the mass market because, you know, those Call of Duty and uh, Madden guys are never going to give a shit about Bleeding Edge. But if you can find the small market that cares about Bleeding Edge and say, hey, we're just going to roll the game out to you in a pre-release form. We're going to let you play it. You're going to tell us what you do and don't like about it. And we're just going to work on it together and make this our game. Then, yeah, you can maybe it's not a big cash cow. Maybe it doesn't have as much of an opportunity to blow up, but it's it's more of an organic kind of growth for a game rather than saying, here's a, fi- a finished product that we're so you confident that everyone's going to love and it's coming out and here's a Super Bowl ad for it. They're like, no, Bleeding Edge is more of a small scale game made by a small scale team. And we're going to find our audience, connect with them from day one and say, hey, let's grow this game together. And if it just organically blows up into something like a Rocket League someday, which could be possible, then, hey, we know it started from the community at the beginning. And then at the heart of this game, it will always be about what the community wants and what the community thinks and, and feels about the game. So I get that. That is a, a good rebuttal to my point, both you and Dead Captain James and Lethal Migraine. So thank you. Uh, again, my ego is bruised. But that's going to do it for our comments, shoutouts, reminders, whatever this week. Please don't let please don't let my nitpicking stop you from commenting. Please 
Uh, it is the only thing keeping me alive. This is the only social interaction I have all week is my girlfriend telling me to clean the dishes and you guys commenting on my podcast. So please, please, please don't stop or else I will cry and be very, very lonely. Uh, so next we will get into what I've been playing. But before we get into what I've been playing, I must tell you what I've been eating. And wouldn't you know it, we're all in quarantine, you know, stuff's closed. I'm, I'm hesitant to be using drive throughs and curbside takeout because you, you never know with those guys in the kitchen or, or rubbing coronavirus on their back pockets and then touching your burgers and fries. So just really been grocery shopping a little bit here and there, trying to avoid the stores as much as possible. And then... Using that sexy air fryer I was telling you about last week, air frying the chicken tenders, air frying the fish tacos, air frying the the, the, the checkers frozen french fries, air frying the Arby's french fries, air frying the fish, air frying the burgers, air frying the, 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 the air frying sour cream, I don't know, air frying ch- chips ahoy, air frying car filters, anything that can fit in that air fryer, you best believe I'm putting it in there. So for the second week in a row, this week we're, we're shouting out the air fryer gang. Go get yourself one. They're like 40 bucks at Walmart. You just got paid from the government. So you can't tell me you're tight on cash or you don't have money because I know the government just, just padded your wallet a bit. Go get yourself an air fryer. Now, let's get into what I've been playing. This this week, I don't know how this happened, but I guess a little bit of backstory. Sorry for so much exposition this week, but so I was looking at Final Fantasy VII, which of course launched this past week on PlayStation 4, and and and, and I'm looking at it, and Final Fantasy is a game, you know, I like to make fun of the Japanese games and the Final Fantasies in particular, but Final Fantasy VII, I think it's a game that has, it has such a, a status and such a, a name to it that even the most like jaded Final Fantasy fans by modern standards or or those who like myself who've always not given a shit about Final Fantasy are at least somewhat intrigued by Final Fantasy 7 because it's like it's like saying I just don't give a shit about Metal Gear Solid or Super Mario Bros or The Legend of Zelda it's just Final Fantasy 7 is one of those games that represents the franchise in a way that's like it can't be ignored no matter how much you want to hate Final Fantasy so I was like just watching some videos some reviews some takes on Final Fantasy 7 I gotta I gotta be honest I'm like I really want to play this game I actually think I would enjoy Final Fantasy 7 quite a bit and it kind of scratched that that thing in my brain that's like man maybe you should play maybe it's time to play a weeb game you know and so of course you know Final Fantasy 7 not coming to Xbox for presumably another year um, so I was like hmm I do have a PlayStation 4 I could just play it on the PS4 but then I was like mm, I really don't like to use my PS4 unless absolutely necessary and I'm already playing planning on playing Last of Us and Ghost of Tsushima this year and that's more than enough PlayStation right there so I'm like eh let me see if I can get my Weeby fix on Xbox. So I was like, mm, Final Fantasy 15. And then I'm like, maybe I'll finally play that. I used to want to play it before, well before it ever came out. Uh, but then, you know, the final product looked really lame. So watched some videos on Final Fantasy 15. Nah, two anime boy band. I don't care. Then I watched some videos on some other anime game. I don't remember. But I, I kept going down the list and I landed on Yakuza. I'm like, hmm. I know Yakuza just came to Game Pass. Phil Spencer's doing this huge push to put Japanese games on Xbox. I love Sega. I'm a really big fan of Sega. Yakuza is a really big game for them. And this is a game I feel like, you know, doesn't get a lot of talk around it. And I'm a little curious as to what exactly this game is like because I hear some people say it's a little bit like Shenmue. It's a little bit like Grand Theft Auto. What is this game? So I sat down and started Yakuza 0 thinking I would not even give a shit about this game. It's like a 30-hour game. And I got like a couple hours in. I was like, huh, this story is really engaging. But I don't know about this gameplay. And before you knew it, I was like 15 hours in, and now I'm now I'm I'm locked in. I'm in it, you know. 
The game's great. <laughs> Yakuza Zero is great. The gameplay is super arcadey, um, brawlery, and it's not too. There's not too many mechanics or systems or upgrade systems or too much bullshit like a lot of a lot of massive Japanese games have these days. It's not trying to shove a bunch of new mechanics and things down your throat every five seconds. It's really just tons and tons of cutscenes and dialogue and exposition, and then a lot of really good brawling combat. It feels very arcadey. It feels like feels like an old Sega game. It has a very like old Sega aesthetic. I don't know how to put it, but a lot of Sega games just have like this uniform appeal, like this uniform look to like their menus and their text and their loading screens and this like polish where it's like a super polished game, but it's visually like not as up there with what modern games look like today. It's just it's just a modern Sega game through and through, but it's uh it's really fun. The story is so good. I understand why people are into these games. The story is like, it's just like such a grounded story in terms of the main plot. It's such an interesting perspective, you know, to talk about like this person in the, in, in the Yakuza, the Japanese mafia who wants to get out. And then you get this other guy who's like trying to get back in. And it's like the story of how their, how their paths crossed. And just, it's such a, it's such a unique and interesting story. We don't see anything like this in gaming and it's just really, really fun and really well written. But then the game can also get super intentionally over the top. Like you'll just be, in a combat scenario where you grab a motorcycle and rip it in half and start like smashing these goons on the streets of Tokyo with like motorcycle pieces and it's just no big deal and you just crush their skulls in and then you defeat them in battle and have a conversation with them and they're just totally fine and it's just such a wacky weird game there's so many it's so charming there's so many things about it that are just so so distinctively on brand Japanese and it's in all the best ways it's a it's a really excellent game it's a game that I don't think is for everyone it's a game that I'm surprised is for me I I'm, I, I would think I would hate this game this is one of those games where I had to force myself to play it to realize I liked it but I'm really glad I did and and shout out to Phil Spencer for really pushing and trying to get more Japanese games onto the Xbox one I've been enjoying some fantasy star online too here and there I've been enjoying Yakuza 0 and uh, I really want to try and play more Japanese games, especially on my Xbox, in an effort to kind of support this movement to get more uh, Eastern games onto the Xbox platform, because I'd really like to see a future where Xbox has more of that PlayStation uh, library, where it's just everyone's putting their games on this console, not just Western developers, so... Uh, check that out if you're if any of that sounded even remotely interesting or if you have 30 hours to burn but yeah that's that's accuses zero and that's what i've been playing so now that we're like uh seven episodes in we'll finally get to the news this week of which there's a solid amount so buckle in fuckers all right so our first story this week comes from the esrb this past week the esrb or the entertainment software ratings board announced a new ratings label for games containing loot boxes or other randomized in-game purchases or microtransactions the esrb created the in-game purchase rating label for games back in 2018 as a response to loot box discourse that had reached different state governments in the u.s and elsewhere in the world like belgium and now the company has created a new label for random items the label will still feature quote in-game purchases according to IGN but now the label will say in-game purchases in parentheses includes random items there's even a little picture they've shown what it looks like it's like the regular T for Team logo that says language and violence but below that there's an additional little box that says in-game purchases includes random items that way mom can know when she's buying Star Wars Battlefront 2 hey if you want to play as Han Solo you, you got to play the game for 40 hours and unlock loot boxes but if you want to play as the, the dancing Han Solo from the Connect game the famous connect game then you got to spend some in-game cash and 
And uh, so that's that's how that works now. Um, the article from IGN continues. This new interactive, this is from the SRB. Quote, this new interactive element in-game purchases includes random items, will be assigned to any game that contains in-game offers, purchases, digital goods, or premiums with real-world currency, or any virtual coins or other forms of in-game currency that can be purchased with real-world currency, for which the player doesn't know prior to the purchase of the specific digital good or premium that they will be receiving. Examples like loot boxes, item packs, mystery awards. The SRB claims that the request has been made by many for a long time now with uh, to make a clearer mention on the box when a game includes any kind of in-game purchase. But they also explain further uh, using words like loot boxes, which are words the gaming community has uh, typically used when referring to randomizing game purchases. They're trying to avoid terms like loot boxes. According to the USRB, the organization wanted to ensure that the label covers all transactions with randomized elements, not just loot boxes. Uh, it also said that research shows that less than a third of parents have both heard the term loot box and understand what it means. Now, loot box is a widely understood phrase, of course, from the video game industry and among gamers. We're just so in the know. We're just so in the in crowd. We just know so much that the normies don't know, of course. Um, but people less familiar with it, of course, don't understand it, which the SRB makes mention of. They say while the new label is primarily in response to the feedback of game enthusiasts, it is still essential that all consumers, especially parents, moms, daddies, uh, they have a clear understanding of the rating information that they that the, the ESRB provides. So that's the story right there, and it's a good thing. Yeah, this is this is totally fair. I don't. There's not much to say to this other than people are always up in arms about about loot boxes and in-game purchases, and it's cool to see that. Now there's going to be an easier ma mention made. I think this is important. One of the cool things, the, the cool thing about the games industry, in particular the ASRB, is it's a self-regulated thing. It's it's just one of the very rare examples of something in this country where it's like the government doesn't have to step in and muck everything up with their uh, ineptitude. Uh, and and I'm not trying to be like a you know like a I'm not trying to be like a major conservative here or anything, but I'm just trying to say it's like. The government, when they get involved with these kinds of things, tend to really not know what they're doing and, and muck everything up. And if there's anything we know about the government's association with the video game industry, it's that they're very, like, blindly anti-video games and they think everything's overly violent and molesting kids' brains with, with notions of shooting up your school. So it's probably best that we keep the government out of, out of the games industry as much as possible, especially in regards to, you know, judging what if a game is appropriate for kids to be playing and things like that. So I like the idea that, again, this is another one of those things where it's like the SRB is like, hey, this is our problem, we can handle this, and I think this is a totally acceptable approach. It's just... Letting people know, yo, there's a there's loot boxes in this here game, but we're gonna we're not gonna, we're calling it random item purchases, and I think it does the trick just fine. Now, the only thing about this that I find potentially concerning or, or odd is and maybe we don't see this as much anymore, but there have been examples of games where they come out and initially there are no in-game purchases, there are no loot boxes or random items or anything like that, and then down the line we see that stuff come out. I'm not. Nothing comes to, of course, you know, I make that point, and then nothing comes to mind specifically, but I know that's been the case in the past, um, so how does that work? Do you do you make a second pressing of, a, of the physical release of the game and and say, hey, now it's now we change the logo on the ESRB rating? Do you resubmit it to the ESRB? Does it have to be re-rated? Do you have to patch the game so that 
you know, it's, I don't even know if anywhere on a boot up screen it ever says the rating of the game. Um, but like, you know, I guess on the storefront, whether it's Steam or Xbox or whatever, you have to change the rating. It's just, it's one of those things where it's like, where do you draw the line on that? Because these days, you know, everything with games, especially with multiplayer games, the situation's so fluid with like what kind of content and options are available to players at what given, you know, any given time. So I just, I think that's a, that's a weird one. It's just one of these many quirks as the games industry evolves that, uh, you know, organizations and and like the ESRB have to kind of adapt to. And I, I don't know really how you handle that, but I've always been of the mind. I've said on this podcast many times before in-app purchases, loot boxes, microtransactions don't bother me in the least bit. Um, I don't buy them because I don't give a shit about them. There are very rare exceptions of games where I would ever purchase them. And I think you need to be a responsible adult when you're playing your games and make purchases you want to make and maybe not give your kids unlimited access to your iPhone with your credit card attached and let them just do whatever the fuck they want and spend your money because... At the end of the day, I, I I mean, this is an optional thing. No game puts a gun to your head and says you're going to buy shit. And if a game's gameplay loop is so dependent on microtransactions, all you got to do is stop playing the game, and eventually developers will get the get the idea that people don't like this shit and they don't like when it's heavy-handed. So I have no problem with this. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a problem that's not really a problem, or at least for people like me, and I think this is a solution that... That does the trick just fine, so that's that. Our next story here comes from Windows Central. It is that mega construction. Normally, I don't get this in the weeds, by the way, on like on like a specific games news because this isn't a, this isn't a Halo podcast. But last night I had a dream that Halo Infinite was actually out. I was stuck in in my dream. I was stuck in an airport, and Halo Infinite just like surprise launched, and I was like literally sweating and freaking out over trying to get home or get to an Xbox as soon as possible so I could play this game. I was like, I literally woke up with the kind of excitement I haven't had since I was a child on Christmas morning, hoping for a Nintendo GameCube. Like, I just woke up this morning at like 6 a.m. just like thinking about Halo Infinite. That's how excited I am for this game, and I just never get that excited about a game. So if there's any kind of Halo news in the the, the news cycle, we're going to talk about it. So fuck you if you don't like Halo, but... Anyway, this is a pretty nerdy one. Mega Constructs, one of the more common toy partners for the Halo franchise, has revealed that a new Covenant Hunter minifigure, uh, they released a picture of this minifigure, as a sneak peek of a new Pelican set that is coming in store shelves later online and at retailers later this year. Um, So just for context, Hunters are, of course... Those those big Covenant bad guys from Halo. Pelicans are, of course, those ships, those UNSC ships, spaceships things from Halo. Yeah, so just for context, you understand what we're talking about if you're not a Halo guy. Uh, but the Hunter the hunter has a black and red color scheme and a blood red cannon as its weapon, which is, of course, very, very unusual. Usually the Hunters are wearing more of the, the purple traditional uh, Covenant armor, but this, this color scheme is a little more reminiscent of the Banner faction which were featured introduced and featured in halo wars 2 um and which are you know a separate group uh, from the covenant so mega constructs has also confirmed that the pelican set will come with a master chief figure so this is where it gets weird because master chief of course was not featured in halo wars 2 so with halo infinite being due out later this year with this new toy set being due out later this year may many have begun to speculate hey are, are the Banished part of Halo Infinite? Are the Banished an enemy faction you will face in Halo Infinite? 
who knows? Of course, you know, if, you, if you've if you've played Halo uh, Wars 2, you know at the end of the game, I won't spoil anything, but the, the ending alludes to something related to Halo 5, so you know these timelines are adding up, that these these uh, these world events in Halo are kind of tying together, things are happening, maybe, maybe just maybe in Halo Infinite, you'll fight the Banished, which would be so fucking cool. How cool would it be to fight Atriox as Master Chief? But, um... Yeah, I just I just think it'd be really cool to have this uh, new faction in Halo Infinite, and it's I guess at, at this point we're just so hungry for content and news and images and gameplay and anything regarding Halo Infinite because the game's due out late this year and we've known about it for two years and we just still haven't seen anything about it. I'm actually going crazy that I'm gonna put my fist through a fucking wall if I don't see Master Chief running on the Xbox Series X soon. I just think this is cool to speculate about because. A lot of us are excited. This is undoubtedly the biggest upcoming game for Xbox and probably the biggest game Xbox has had since Halo 5. So it's just been a really long time since Xbox has had a game of this magnitude. And I think it's fun to speculate about literally anything we can get our hands on because other than that, the only Halo news as of late is that whenever 343 uh, (laughs) is working on sound design for the game, they post videos of them kind of doing the Foley art, which is also pretty cool. But... Yeah, so if you're looking forward to Halo Infinite, there you, which you should be if you're an Xbox gamer, there you go. There's a possibility that the the Banish will be a, a, a possible enemy type in in that in that new game. That would be interesting. That means you have the Covenant. Well, the Covenant really shouldn't. You really shouldn't be fighting the Covenant because the war is kind of over. But whatever. So it should should be like what the Banished and the Forerunners. So I don't know. Our next story here, let's get out of Halo talk. Our next story here comes from Windows Central. This is one I wouldn't normally cover, but I felt like I kind of had to because, I don't know, I like Jez Corden from Windows Central. He's their their Xbox guy, and uh, I I trust him and his sources, and even though I don't think this story says a whole lot, kind of reiterates on something we already kind of know it 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 ties it threads a needle that we've been kind of seeing weave a story over the past few years anyway let's stop speaking in in silly vague terms a noteworthy insider recently offered some tantalizing teases about what could be on the horizon for xbox game studios microsoft's xbox has enjoyed the power advantage over playstation for quite some time now but in the world of gaming that alone simply isn't enough microsoft has been playing catch up with sony's increasingly potent stable of high quality AAA games with titles like god of war spider-man the last of us and many others achieving widespread critical acclaim microsoft game studios have been on the back foot with some to some degree, with only a handful of titles like Ori and Forza Horizon achieving unanimous praise. Windows Central has written previous about how this needs to change, blah, 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 as noted for Xbox Game Studios. Microsoft is investing more in first-party content than ever before, and we're beginning to see the fruits of those efforts with teasers for games like Hellblade 2, which of course looks pretty good. For what it's worth, there are also long-standing rumors floating around that Playgrounds Games is working on a big reboot of Microsoft's dormant Fable RPG franchise with some suggestions, while some suggest the initiative may be working on a perfect dark IP of rare fame. Phil Spencer has also recently commented that he'd like to explore Mech Assault again, despite the potential issues with the franchise rights. And that ties into what Shinobi602 said on the, uh, I forget what forum this was. It was uh, one of those forums where people post dirty pictures and talk about video games. But he says, uh, apparently a pretty notable source says, 
uh, that while you know he can't say anything about what's happening with the Series X and the game's lineup, um, he can hint, he can tease, and what he says in response to the question, will you give us anything, any hint, description, or, or gif of anything? I'm so thirsty for news, and the quarantine isn't helping. So Sh- Shinobi responds to this this uh, this message on the on the forums. He goes, it's not my place to give detail, and my username would be plastered on sites and come morning if I did, lol. So I won't, but I won't, but you won't have to wait too much longer, really. I'm incredibly excited to see what's coming from Xbox. Gorgeous fantasy worlds, reboots, big sci-fi ellipsis should be a lot of fun. So that ties into the whole, you know, gorgeous fantasy worlds. You've got the Playground Games remake of, or reboot of Fable, okay? Uh, reboots, you've got the initiative remake uh, or reimagining of Perfect Dark, okay? And then you got big sci-fi. You got Phil Spencer over here commenting on bringing back Mech Assault. So it's, I think that third one's the, the most shaky. But, you know, I, nonetheless, I think there's a lot of, if you think Playground Games Fable remake isn't happening or Fable reboot isn't happening, then like you're living under a rock. This is this is a thing that's happening. I'm pretty sure the Playground Games Fable thing is like just the worst kept secret in gaming history, and we're gonna see a trailer for that come E3. So that one I'm pretty sure like lines up just perfectly. Reboots. Uh, this one, I think there's a lot of weight to it, but I've, I've been trying to deny it because I know this is probably the, the rumor is that this is a second team, a second smaller team at the initiative that's working on a reboot or a remake of Perfect Dark. But I really don't want that to be the case because I want them to be doing an all hands on deck from the ground up, as Phil Spencer said, quadruple A game. Um, but it is possible that that's still happening while a B team at the studio is working on a Perfect Dark remake. And then the the big sci-fi, that's the one I think is a little more unfounded. You know, Phil Spencer, he's mentioned Mech Assault a handful of times in the past, but I don't think that's happening. I think the the rights with the Mech Assault are kind of all over the place. It's a little up in the air with that. And I don't know that there's really an audience for Mech Assault. It just, as, as much as I want Phil Spencer to, you know, get his wish and get Mech Assault back, I don't know that that's really an IP you can tap back into and, and bring to a modern audience. I just don't know that it will really work as a big first-party game. But nonetheless, it could be a thing that's happening. But you know what else big sci-fi means? Big sci-fi means Halo. So I read that as, you know, Fable, Perfect Dark, and, and Halo. I don't read that as Fable, Perfect Dark, and Mech Assault. But I'd like to be proven wrong. I think it'd be cool if they did Mech Assault. Again, it would play into that whole Microsoft thing where it's like, you know, Sony, yeah, they're always doing the critically acclaimed masterpiece third-person action narrative game, and Microsoft is doing, while not as critically acclaimed, they're just doing more variety. I love it. It's like, this year we're going to get Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and Halo Infinite, and Minecraft Dungeons, and Wasteland 3, and Gears Tactics, and, and Grounded, and Bleeding Edge, and regardless of whether or not those games are like 10 out of 10, or 7 out of 10, or whatever, or whether it's your favorite game, or you don't give a shit about one of those games, the through line with all of that is absolutely every single one of those titles is nothing like the other. They're all completely different from each other, 100%, and they cater to different audiences and different tastes, so... That's the cool thing is Microsoft has, in the words of IGN, a little something for everyone. And uh, I think I think that's something that's needed. I think Nintendo, while all their games are very different from each other, are also very Nintendo. Nintendo ha- is very good at doing this thing where it's like even though their games are not the same game, they're also the same game. Like they appeal to the exact same market. And PlayStation, while they make fantastic games, they just keep making the same exact type of game over and over and over and over again. But I like that Microsoft's in this position where it's like, 
maybe they're making, you know, maybe you can be an Xbox fan and not give a shit about Ori in the Blind Forest and Wasteland and and the uh, the Outer Worlds, but you can be super into Gears of War and Fable and Forza because there's just so much variety in genre that, you know, you can kind of pick and choose the things that work for you um, instead of just getting the same thing over and over again or having Nintendo's approach of just the obligatory one game in each franchise for every console. Sorry, I just like to, I like to hate on Nintendo. I'm I'm not I'm not a fanboy. Um, although I should say as a side note, this week uh, at work, my coworkers who only ever talk about sports for the first time ever had a conversation regarding uh, video games. And they were talking about PlayStation versus Xbox, PS5 versus Series X. Which one should I get? And I never realized. You know, I always thought I was a pretty impartial gamer or for an Xbox fan. I thought I was pretty good at like being fair to all consoles and enjoying all three brands. But man, listening to my coworkers who just know, you know, relative to someone who is a fucking loser who follows this stuff religiously, it it, it kind of like just drove me nuts listening to them have this conversation of like why PlayStation's objectively better than Xbox, and, they, and and their selling points were literally the controller is better, which is not only incorrect but just incre- incredibly subjective. Two, uh, the PlayStation has better better games like Call of Duty, and they said. Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto, so as if as if you can't get those on Xbox, and uh, and three Xbox is stupid because you know the Xbox One stuff, the TV stuff, and all that. I'm like, okay, well, it, it just drove me nuts, and I don't know why I'm saying this, but anyway, Windows Central's got our next story here at Gamescom 2020. While we all knew there was no way it was going to actually happen, it's now officially been uh, announced that it's not going to happen. Um, so they've officially announced a digital only capacity for the massive. Uh, German games convention that happens each and every summer. Uh, as the German government has extended the ban on large events through August 31st, um, the massive game convention, uh, which is the largest in attendance, uh, the largest attended gaming event in the world, with last year's attendance numbers surpassing 370,000 people, uh, the nation's move to extend the event ban is, of course, in direct response to the coronavirus, which some say has the ability to persist inside gamers' bodies undetected for months at a time before symptoms even surface. Scientists have begun to speculate the reason for why gamers are so resistant to the novel and disastrous virus may be linked with a part of their brain that tells them that pouring hundreds of hours into Souls-type games can yield positive social benefits. So that is it for Gamescom. I think we all saw this writing on the wall. I think it was just a matter of time. But yes, it's going digital only, which is actually... It's, it's hard to say. Obviously, E3 is the bigger deal because that's the one where you get all the biggest stories. But Gamescom has been growing in terms of relevance in recent years, not just because of the obvious factor, the, the massive attendance, but because we just keep getting more and more announcements. Sony sometimes shows up there. Microsoft's been doing press conferences regularly there for a while now. And it's just it's just one of those things where we, we get a fair amount of news. Speaking of Halo Wars 2... Gamescom is where it was announced and shown off for the first time. It's like, this is a big conference. So in that regard, yeah, it's a, it's a massive blow that it's it's going digital only. Um, I think you can assume that a lot of brands and companies that normally show up in person aren't going to be really participating in this digital showcase. And I think an event like Gamescom, I guess it's like, 
an event like E3 can exist more in a digital presence because that's where people expect announcements, whereas an event like Gamescom cannot so much because it's while it is massive and while it has a lot of game announcements, it is a little more akin to PAX in the sense that it is more about celebration of games and playing games and getting together in a physical sense and like meeting people in real life and, and, and sharing gaming. Um, so it is a bit of a different situation where I think the physical presence of Gamescom is such an indelible part to its it's more so an indelible part to what it is than E3 is, which I know sounds a little like I'm I'm backtracking here because, of course, you know I, I said without without the physical presence of E3, can the can the ESA even exist? Can they even persist after this? Well, but I, I think you know if you can get all the big dogs on board and do a massive E3 digital presentation, you can still get all the hype and the views. It's just a really different way of doing it, but. Nonetheless, obviously, this is bad news for both Gamescom and E3 because what's actually going to happen here is, you know, your Microsofts and your Ubisofts, as they've already announced, are just going to go ahead and do their own digital presentations on their own time when they're getting ready. And it's going to happen separate from Gamescom. And this is going to hurt both of these events tremendously. But the good news is we won't have all these people uh, congregating in one spot. 370,000 people last year. Can you imagine that many people getting together in Germany? They get. I think it takes place in Cologne every year. Can you imagine 370 people getting together in Cologne this summer during the coronavirus? They're all just gonna spread their their common gamer cold and and coronavirus, and it's gonna be disgusting and it shouldn't happen. So this is a good thing in the long run, but unfortunate news for uh, not only those who work Gamescom, but for those who just look forward to having a good time and attending Gamescom. So our next story here is. In regards to Cyberpunk, everyone's favorite game. So, Cyberpunk, you know, with its release so close to the tentative launch of the Xbox Series X, many players have begun to worry that playing the previous generate playing a previous generation title uh, might not be as graphically exciting due to the simple fact that Cyberpunk isn't being built to take advantage of the Series X and its insane specifications. Well, fret not, because it appears that the developer CD Projekt Red has plans to release a Series X update of the game shortly after the console launches. This update is basically just it basically just makes the Series X read the original purchase of the Xbox One version as the Series X version of the game, rather than working like a simple update akin to like the Gears 5 patch that will update the game to run better on Series X. Um, so basically... This is, I assume, what I read from this is that they're going to launch an Xbox Series X version of the game as well. And if you own the Xbox One version, your console can just read and read it as the Series X version by, you know, popping the disc in, seeing that's the game, and then updating the game or downloading the Xbox Series X version of the game, whatever, to run and look better and, and be the better version. So don't be afraid of jumping in on the Xbox One in September when the game comes out and then. And then kind of coming back to it later in the year when on your Series X and just picking up where you left off, playing the nicer, prettier version. Regardless of how it works, the point is you buy it once on this, the one, you got it forever. You get the forwards, up compatible update, you get all the pretty graphics, you get all the, the Series X, power to the players, that kind of thing. Uh, as for the PS5 version, basically they just said they don't really know the answer to that yet because it's this forwards-backwards compatibility situation isn't the same story on PS5, so... At least thank your lucky stars that on Xbox you you only got to buy the game once. But that's not all for Cyberpunk. We're keeping keeping with Cyberpunk. Developer CD Projekt Red has also confirmed that the game will receive additional DLC post-game launch. But now we have some more exciting details about just how much DLC players should expect. 
during a Polish language meeting with investors, CD Projekt president Adam uh, I want to I know I want to pronounce this, but I can't. K- Kaczynski, but there's some accents on the end, and I don't know what that means unless it's Spanish. Um, but Adam Kaczynski, sorry if I butchered your name, was asked about the follow up on the follow up on DLC for Cyberpunk 2077, which is set to be released on September 17th. The main game that is Kaczynski was asked about how big the DLC will be and when they will announce it. He says, as translated by IGN Poland, players can expect expansion sizes no less than The Witcher 3. Considering that Blood and Wine uh, and Hearts of Stone DLCs combined uh, to around uh, 40 hours of extra content, give or take, that's quite a it's quite a substantial amount of ex- extra content. He says, as for when players can expect an announcement for the DLC, uh, Kaczynski told investors to expect a similar scenario to what we had with Witcher 3. CD Projekt famously announced both Witcher 3 expansions a week before the game's launch, meaning CD Projekt could potentially announce DLC for Cyberpunk shortly before the game releases. So basically, uh, this will be like how games like Destiny kind of did it, where, you know, towards the game's release, they'll say, hey, here's our roadmap for the game, here's the launch of the main game, and then we have kind of a tentative window for this big expansion and then a tentative window for the second big expansion uh here's kind of an idea of what we're working on they're a little further along the road but you'll get these at some point in the future um but needless to say you know these are all separate experiences that can uh that can be enjoyed at at separate times so this is exciting if you're looking forward to cyberpunk 2077 um because obviously there's tons and tons of it to come Uh, the game has already promised to be a massive game and now it looks like the dlc will be you know, just like Witcher 3 in terms of scale and scope, uh, which is really exciting because uh, people love The Witcher 3 and people are really excited for Cyberpunk. And if Cyberpunk is half as good as people are hoping it is, then it looks like they've got a lot of good game uh, on the horizon here. So good little update on our friends from CD Projekt Red. Seems like, you know, they also confirmed that even with everyone working from home, they are not delaying Cyberpunk. They don't see uh, the game as needing to be delayed. So this is all... All good news, a little bit of some um, some exciting information regarding uh, in, in a time where everything else seems to be about delays and cancellations. Um, okay, our next story here is all about the evil, the Resident Evil. So, from Windows Central, with Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 both receiving remakes in 2019 and 2020 respectively, it appears that Cap- Capcom's next remake... Uh, is of the title many consider legendary. According to a new report from BGC, Resident Evil 4 Remake is in development at M2, being led by former Platinum Games head Tatsuya Minami. M2 was a a support studio for the development of Resident Evil 3's recent remake, and the team reportedly has the blessing of the original Resident Evil 4 director, Shinji Mikami. The project has also reportedly been in planning since 2018 and is aiming to release Resident Evil 4 Remake in 2022. It'll be interesting to see how this fits in. According to other credible rumors, Resident Evil 8 is coming in 2021 as a cross-generation title, which is, of course, originally rumored to be a third entry in the Resident Evil Revelations spinoff series, which started on the 3DS and then later got ported to uh, main consoles. Um, but if that's the case, Resident Evil 4 Remake, which will, of course, uh, be a cross-generation game, or it will only arrive on next-generation platforms. But we're not really sure about that. Only time will tell. So this is a lot here. Um, Capcom's going nuts, first of all, with these remakes. Um, by the time this is over, we're going to... I mean, it's like a new Resident Evil literally every year. Um, 
Resident Evil 7 came out, what was that, 2017? And then Resident Evil 2 was 2019. Then Resident Evil 3 was 2020. And now we're in this like one a year cycle. And I know people are a little down on Resident Evil 3, but it seems like it's not really the game's problem. It seems like it's just people were expecting exactly what they got with Resident Evil 2 and weren't willing to accept something different. Um, But it seems like, I, I guess my concern here is that they might be, you know, they might be on the verge of of some some Resident Evil fatigue here if they keep going at this rate. I know people love, love, love Resident Evil 4, and I know that's the one people are most excited about getting back into, um, but I think Resident Evil 4 is where you start to teeter that line of, like, does this need a remake? And I, I think you can justify Resident Evil 4. It's old enough. It's over 15 years old now. Um, I think it's the hardware it, it, it hailed from originally is old enough that you can kind of justify, um, you know, reworking the camera and the controls and everything on that game and update it visually and making it you know remastering it but i guess what i worry about is after this it's like you gotta stop because the next game resident evil 5 is still you know it while it's definitely more of an action game and a lot of people hate that game it's sold incredibly well but it's one of those games where it's still modern enough it still plays well enough and looks good enough that you really can't reimagine and build from the ground up Resident Evil 5 or Resident Evil 6 again. So they're kind of blowing the wad real fast here, first of all, by just jumping straight into Resident Evil 4 without focusing on any spinoff games. And then aside from that, I also wonder if they're, you know, going to reach this kind of franchise fatigue before they even get to the one that people like the most, which is Resident Evil 4, with, you know, just releasing a new game constantly. I understand, you know, to someone like me, Resident Evil 8 is the most interesting game on this list because... I'm always more for like, let's play something new rather than let's remake something we've done before. And I understand these Resident Evil remakes are pretty robust and pretty original and pretty, you know, different. It's not like the last of us remaster where you just up, you know, uprise some textures and call it a day. This is, this is, you know, they're reimagining the game from the ground up like final fantasy seven. So I, I get that, but man, I think, this is kind of bad news, you know, especially with Resident Evil 3 already getting some bad press, even though it's not the game's problem. I know it's, or even though I know it's, I know it's not really the fact that the game's bad, it's it's just gamers being gamers. I do understand that this is going to be a problem if they just keep shoving these down our throats. You know, you already got a bad taste in people's mouths now with Resident Evil 3 just a little bit. I think you can continue to build up on that bad bad will if you, if you just keep pushing these games out one year after another so. A little apprehensive about what this means for the franchise, but hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully people continue to just eat this shit up, and after Resident Evil 8, they'll uh, Resident Evil 4 or 2022, whatever, they'll just take a chill pill and let the let the franchise rest for a second because we don't need that much Resident Evil all back to back to back. Now th- this game, this franchise isn't isn't dying for it, you know, but whatever. It's it's good to see that horror games are coming back and that Capcom's having a resurgence and that. People are enjoying this shit because the horror genre has been kind of lacking in recent years, up until pretty recently. So good for these studios that are able to kind of bring it back. Now, keeping with Resident Evil as a little side note, less than a week after Resident Evil 3 was released, the game has surpassed 2 million copies sold. That's right. And digital sales are up nearly 50%. They make up nearly 50% of the game's copies sold. The original game, Resident Evil 3, Nemesis, was sold, which sold a total of 3.5 million copies during its lifetime. So the remake has already sold over half of its progenitor sales, making it quite a success, regardless of some of the uh, internet outcry you're, you're seeing about it. So really impressive. The only thing I, that here that doesn't impress me is the 50% digital sale, because I, I would expect especially with what's going on right now, people, you know, playing from home and everything, I would expect the digital sales to make up 
closer to 70% of the game's copies sold um, just because, you know, it seems like these days, on average, most most big releases do about 50% physical, 50% digital. And so I would just assume this to be a time period where a lot of people who normally buy physical are dipping more into the digital option. Um, but it looks like it's pretty much the same old, same old with uh, the 50-50 split. So that's uh, that's a little interesting to see. But nonetheless, good for you, Capcom. Like I was saying, people are really digging this shit. And good on you for selling 2 million copies of this game that uh, people are arbitrarily just starting to take issue with because I guess... Uh, I guess I guess they're too MLG for Capcom. Um, but yeah, that's it for all our Resident Evil news. Now we will move in to our final two stories of the week. Uh, and, and they are, or at least this is, this, this upcoming one is a, a big one, so strap in. So this one comes from IGN, uh, kind of re- retooled in my own wording. So as expected by basically everyone who's at least half turned in, who's at least half tuned into the industry, developer Rockstar Games has begun working on their next entry in the immensely popular Grand Theft Auto franchise. However, it appears that the game is in a lo- is a long ways away from being ready to launch or even properly announced for that matter. According to some follow-up reporting by Kotaku's Jason Schreier and some sourcing and some source confirming done by IGN, the studio is really honing in on some company restructuring designed to eliminate crunch as much as possible. While the next GTA is still n- In early development, the company is considering altering production methods to avoid crunch, such as releasing a more modest-sized game in scale and scope, with the intention to add to the game over, with the intention to add to the game over time, rather than pushing for one complete world in its finalized release. Additionally, the studio is looking to shake up leadership roles and focus on more outside management training in an effort to get to the root of its supposed crunch dilemma. It is important to remember that not too long ago, Rockstar co-founder and writer Dan Hauser left the company and was one of the more outspoken people at the studio about standing by hard work ethic for the sake of putting out a good game. While there is no confirmation that his departure from the studio is directly linked with the change in company culture, it is hard to not associate the two due to the nature of the stories and the timing of these events. Needless to say, if the next GTA launches in in a smaller and lesser scope project than GTA 5. Needless to say, if the next GTA launches as a smaller and lesser scope project than GTA 5, gamer internet fanboys are going to have a field day cyberbullying Kotaku's game industry evangelist Jason Schreier. So this is one that I almost wish I didn't even have to talk about, Just but because the inclusion of the next GTA information and the fact that some of this is a direct response and some stuff that's undoubtedly happening, we just had to talk about it. So this is yet another one of those, here's, here's Jason Schreier on Kotaku trying to push his narrative, trying to you know, get some quotes here and there from desperate people within the games industry to stitch together his narrative of in push his. Keep in mind, Jason Schreier is the guy who is constantly pushing for you know union union unionization in the games industry, which not only doesn't really make sense when so many games are made internationally, when you know it's it's so many different governments, world governments like crisscrossing, when your game is like being outsourced between you know, certain parts of Europe and Asia and Canada, and then, you know, the main development teams in the U.S. It's like, it doesn't really work like that. But aside from that, you know, this man's been pretty clearly and pretty unabashedly pushing for his agenda 
on readers for years now. And, you know, I take, I take, I say this as someone who used to really respect the hell out of Jason Schreier. Jason Schreier is someone I used to admire so much that he was a big driving force in why, you know, when I was in high school, I thought my dream was to work for IGN and be a games media personality and be a writer or something like that, you know, about games news. Jason Schreier was a, a big, you know, a, a big person I looked up to in a sense and, and, and uh, enjoyed reading from, but it's just in recent years, you've just, I've watched this guy just kind of crack go from like, like real games journalists to like, you know, like someone who really found interesting and important stories in the games industry and dug them up and shared them with the world to like, just like total far left pushing his social agenda on to everyone and trying to stir the pot and make stories where there really aren't any within the, within the industry. And this is just, it's kind of really getting to me because it's, I, I hate having to report on it. He's uh this guy deserves credit sometimes because he does have sources and get stories where others don't, but also sometimes he's just abusing his power. It's so it seems these days to really push a narrative that, that doesn't necessarily exist. Um, I guess uh, uh, before we really jump into what's happening here at Rockstar, a good example of this would be the uh, would be the stuff happening over at Gearbox Studios, the team behind Borderlands, and uh, the CEO over there, Randy Pitchford. So Randy Pitchford, uh, you know, um, basically told the team about a week or so ago, "Hey, you guys are not going to be getting your big fancy bonuses for for Borderlands Three, despite the game selling pretty well and reviewing pretty well, um, because it didn't meet our." admittedly lofty expectations and, and, and stretch goals to get those bonuses. So yeah, there were some reports, you know, that Gearbox is so evil. Randy Pitchford is such an evil guy. Randy Pitchford has been in and out of the news in recent memory. It seems like a lot of people kind of have a bone to pick with Randy Pitchford. And basically the, the guy is just like, tell him like it is like, Hey, this was the goal we set for these bonuses. We didn't reach these bonuses. You guys aren't getting that extra change. Sorry. It sucks. And there are a bunch of people, you know, Jason Schreier supposedly had all these sources, all these people that work at Gearbox who are reporting how they hate their work culture and it's so unfair. And Randy Pitchford still got a bonus, but they didn't. And it's just a toxic environment to work in. But then, you know, a few days later, a bunch of people who work at Gearbox and some of their satellite studios came out and basically made this whole post saying, hey, this is bullshit. This is absolute bullshit. There's so many people at Gearbox here who love this team. Randy Pitchford recently gave up 30% of his control the company to spread the wealth amongst the, the staff so that there is more of a individual ownership in the company. Um, he admitted that, you know, that the goals they set for these bonuses were a little loftier than they should have been. And he apologizes for that, but he didn't want to pass the blame to someone else, make some other upper management in the company have to be the fool to break the news to everyone. He wanted to personally be the one as the CEO, as the head of the studio to come down and tell everyone, Hey guys, this is what's going on. I'm sorry to break the bad news, but these bonuses aren't happening. And everyone and like this whole slew of people came out of the woodworks to say like, Hey, this is bullshit. This reporting is false. There are some bad apples in the company, people who are disenfranchised with their workplace, and they're willing to speak out to the Jason Schreiers of the world and kind of misalign the the perception of what people who work at the studio are truly experiencing. And it was just one of those like aha moments. This was a story I was originally going to cover last week and then decided not to just as to not give any additional steam to this conversation, not give any more weight to it. Uh, and then I'm glad I didn't because it was just a few days after the podcast went up that that's that news started hitting that people started coming out of the woodworks to say, Hey, this is kind of bullshit. Um, really lines, specific narrative driven 
journalism here happening. It's kind of bullshit. And I think that's a little bit of what we're getting here, where Jason Schreier, especially with Rockstar, has just been pushing this fucking narrative about crunch in the games industry for so long. He did it with Naughty Dog, but but Rockstar Games is really the one he's obsessed with getting the most. He went all nuts with it in 2018 about Red Dead Redemption 2, about everyone's working these 100-hour work weeks, and then Dan Hauser, who of course recently left, was saying, you know, there are some, you know, most people here just do the regular 40 hour work week. But yeah, there are people here who are putting in the extra hours, who are putting in the extra time because that's how the fucking cookies made. It's like, that's how the cake is made. It's like, you want to, you want to make a game in sale and in, in, in scale and scope like Grand Theft Auto five or, or Red Dead Redemption two, then you fucking work your ass off. And this is a game. This is your life. This is what you're passionate about is making this project come to fruition. And you got these guys like Jason Schreier who are like, well, I'm going to find, you know, the guys who in, and, and this is of course speculation on my part because I don't have connections. I don't know this, but it seems like what he does is he goes around and he finds these guys who are a little disenfranchised with their workplace, a little tired, who feel a little like gimped um, from their studio and they're willing to speak out an- anonymously and say, Hey, you know, this is the kind of shit that's happening. There are people here working a hundred hour work weeks. You know, there are people who are really crunching so that these games can get pushed out so that, you know, these fat cats can get their wallets padded and, and sell these copies in 2k and, and in the higher ups here at rockstar can get, make all the money while we have to suffer and not see our families and it's like I'm so fucking tired of this narrative but for whatever reason it looks like you know whether whether Jason Schreier was just right or whether there's just um whether you know there's just this optical pressure to change the narrative over at Rockstar it looks like shit's happening they're uh they're they're making conscious effort to at the very least, try and change this perspective that that there's this severe crunch issue over at Rockstar. And 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 this is it. This is it. This is them saying, here's how we're gonna give you what you want. You wanna you wanna bitch and moan about how we're an unethical company and how our employees are suffering and going without seeing their families and having to do all this this slave labor to fucking make these games happen. This is how we're gonna do it. Your next Grand Theft Auto game, it's gonna be smaller than Grand Theft Auto 5. It's gonna be a small game. We're basically gonna release what we can of the game, a core component, and then we're just going to roll out content updates over time. What if the next Grand Theft Auto game, I don't even, we don't even know the next GTA game will have a campaign, but because of the success of GTA Online, but let's say it does have a campaign. What if they just give you half the campaign and then you get a part two and a part three rolled out over time? A studio like Rockstar, I assume all this content would be free, but it's still, it's just like, what the hell? It's like, no, just take 10 years, take whatever it takes, take the time it takes to make this kind of game. And just make it. Like, if these people really want to be here, if these people really want to be there at the end of the development of Grand Theft Auto 6 or whatever it's called and have their name on the credits, dude, that is the biggest thing you can do for your career as a as a game developer or whatever is say, hey, I worked at Rockstar Games. We made Red Dead Redemption 2, you know? My name is on those credits. You're going to work 60, 70, 80-hour weeks sometimes if that's what it takes to get these games out the door because... If you're working at a studio like Rockstar Games, that is like, that is making it. You know, I've said this before. Like, that is the equivalent in the games industry of making it. That's the dream job. You get to have your hands and your creative input on a game like Grand Theft Auto. The game, one a franchise that is so incredibly unanimous with video games in general that you can't fucking find a person who doesn't know what Grand Theft Auto is, you know? For better or for worse, whether you like Grand Theft Auto or not, that is a game that absolutely everyone associates with the games industry. That everyone knows it's a it's a franchise everyone recognizes, 
And it is so indicative of all the, the good and bad that can come from the games industry and come from the the medium of video games. And, you know, the people who get the opportunity, who get the the blessing to be a part of these teams that make these games come to fruition are probably going to be the kinds of people who are willing to put in the work to make this thing happen. And I just don't, I don't see it as, you know, crunch or like pressure from people to put their personal lives on hold and their health and their happiness and their mental stability on hold so that gamers can get Grand Theft Auto. I don't see it as that at all. I think if you don't want to be here, don't be here. But if you want to be a part of something this big and this important and this indelible to this industry, then it's like, then you got to be here a hundred percent. And that's just how it works, man. That's just, again, I'm, I made the point, you know, any, anytime you do something creative, this is how it's made. And someone in the comments said, you know, dude, fuck that. That's like, yes, but that's not even how it works in, in just gaming. That's how it works all across the board. If you, if you don't want to do a good bang up job, then just don't be here at all. You don't have to be like the 40 hour, eight hour day shifts. That's for people who hate their fucking office job. That's for people like me. You know, that's not for people like the developers of Red Dead Redemption and Grand Theft Auto. These are the people who would kill to be in this position and who are glad to work whatever it takes. And and I would assume, you know, while, of course, uh, this project is probably stressful and there are moments, you know, where things are crazy and you don't know how things are coming along together. I would assume for the most part, if your day job is to help make the next Grand Theft Auto come out and be a thing, it probably doesn't feel like you're punching a clock and working all day and then punching out and going home from your sh- your shitty day job. It probably feels like the fucking opportunity of a lifetime. And and I'm sure, you know, again, while there probably are stressful moments and there probably are heated moments in development because that's how any job is, I'm sure at the end of the day you probably look back and go, "I can't believe I get to be a part of this." And I just really hate that outsiders like Jason Schreier get to say oh, well, this is the kind of narrative I want to support and this is the kind of thing. I'm trying to be this evangelist for the games industry and promote you know, unionization and, and get these these poor developers the break they deserve. It's like, dude, game developers are well compensated. Like Going back to the Gearbox thing, you can complain about those guys not getting their paychecks and sure, that you can say that's shitty all you want and maybe it even is shitty, but it's like these ga- game developers, people working at Rockstar, people working at... At, uh, at Gearbox, these these guys aren't making chump change. This isn't slave labor. These guys are making really well, like, like game developers at studios like this, they are making, like, three-figure salaries easily. Like, this isn't, these guys aren't being forced against their will with little pay to make Red Dead Redemption 2. These guys are making the fucking killing doing what they're passionate about. So, that's my, uh, that's my long big, my big old rant. Sorry that this episode's going on so long, but I hope we don't have to talk about this anymore, but we probably will have to because it looks like Rockstar is taking action, and whether this is serious corporate shakeup in response to all this stuff, or if this is just more of like an optical PR stunt um, by saying, hey, we're really, you know, we're really trying to look out for our staff, who knows, maybe this is just pressure from their publisher, 2K, to say, hey, we want games out sooner. We don't want one game every 10 years. We want a game every four or five years. Maybe this is just a way for them to satiate their publisher and the media at the same time by being fine. We'll just release a smaller game and then kind of add on content over time. Who who knows what the intention is here, but uh, nonetheless, hopefully we don't have to talk about this crunch in the workplace anymore or anytime soon. And our final little wrap-up story of the week is that a few days ago, a long and active Twitter account from the game Crisis sent out a tweet that simply said, receiving data in all capitalization. Naturally, this set the internet ablaze with speculation and rumors. In the following days, a second tweet was sent out saying, hey, Nomad, you still with us? 
which led to further speculation about a possible sequel or re-release in the coming future for the Crisis franchise. The last game of the franchise was Crisis 3, which launched in 2013 for Xbox 360, PS3, and PC. It is important to note that Crisis developer Crytek has had some uh, has said something of a tumultuous recent history since the release of the franchise's third installment. After years of financial strain and reports of employees not even being paid, Crytek was able to consolidate some of its subsidiary studios and even eventually get back on track. Their last game was 2019's Hunt Showdown, that which was self-published on PC. Uh, with the project out of the way, it is plausible that a new Crisis game is currently in their sights. So, looks like... It looks pretty promising that there's a new Crisis game in the works, or at least a re-release. Hopefully, if it's a re-release, it's a package of all three games. Um, but yeah, uh, there's not much to speculate on this other than to say, keep your eyes peeled if you're a Crisis fan. It looks like we're going to get some news pretty soon here. Uh, I find this, hopefully this will be, it seems like Crytek's kind of been on the up and up in recent history. Um, after that crazy kind of history they had going from like 2014 to 16 or 17 or something like that. But hopefully this is uh, something that can really start getting them back on track. I feel like Crisis is is the game that really put them on the map, and they've had a lot of like kind of misses since then. So hopefully this is uh, the thing that can kind of get them back to their former glory. Um, so that's going to do it for all of our big news stories. We have a couple little like one-sentence, little one-off important news stories that are uh, important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. First one being that Gears Tactics is now available for preload on Xbox uh, for Game Pass on PC, Windows 10 PCs, and Steam ahead of its April 28th launch. There's a launch trailer trailer available, so you can go ahead and watch that if you want to see what's up with that. And the Xbox One version of the game is still in development with a uh, later this year kind of window uh, time frame for release. Our second story here is that Minecraft is picking up RTX ray tracing later this week. Uh, the first build is going live on April 16th via the Xbox Insider Hub and will be available for users that have RTX enabled video cards and the Windows 10 version of the game. Our last one here is that Amazon Game Studios upcoming MMO New World world has been delayed from May to August due to the coronavirus. The game director cited issues uh, due to the company transitioning to a remote work, work from home. The closed beta has also been delayed to, to July, but interested players can still sign up on the website. And that's going to do it for all of our news, just period. We are going to wrap up, of course, with our games with gold and our new releases for the week of which there are 10 or 11. Sorry, I can't count. There are 11 new games. We will just plow right through them because this is already a pretty long episode. We've got Journey of the Savage planet hot garbage which is a game about which is a game about hot garbage it is a game is you wear a space suit you travel to a savage planet and you pick up very hot garbage you probably burn your hands in the process but that's what you do when you travel to a, a quote savage planet space engineers is our next game it says space engineers the characters on the screen look like spacemen but they're actually not on the moon or mars but rather they're what appears to be alaska it just looks like a snowy tundra so Space Engineers, a game about traveling to Alaska. I highly recommend you wear something warmer than a spacesuit if you're going to Alaska, but these guys are fucking idiots and that's what they decided to wear. Our next game is called Blind Men, where you play as a guy with an eye patch, so the name's immediately misleading because you're clearly this game should be called Half Blind Men or Half Blind Man because the other man in this picture that makes it men, uh, the plural of man, uh, is actually fully, fully uh, sightful, fully envisioned, fully uh, able to see because he's not wearing an eye patch. And that is me uh, assuming someone's eyesight ability based solely off the number of eye patches being worn. Our next game here is called Vampire the Masquerade. Um, this is coming out April 15th. 
15th. It is a story-based uh, uh, game where there's a woman smoking a cigarette and you have narrative options. You can say, where's my clan? How can I tell the kindred clan? And clans stick together, right? Or you can pick the fourth option, which is uh, clan you fuck off and and let me go about my life, which is what I would pick. Our next game here is called um, Machinerium. Machinerium, which is actually pretty cool from an artistic perspective, but I'm not going to praise the game. I'm actually going to shit on it instead. So this is a little robot. He's in this uh, Van Gogh painting, and your objective is to basically pull the lever, watch the trolley or the train go down the tracks, run the robot over, and then crash into the wall. I don't know why the, the door here is closed. It's going to make the train crash 100% of the time if the, if the door doesn't open. It's just basically destroying the, the, the tracks. My only, my only speculation here as to how the train can survive running down the hill and going through a closed door is that maybe this is some Harry Potter bullshit and that is a platform nine and three quarters type door where the train just goes right through it and all the all the humans are oblivious to the fact that trains uh, do not obey the laws of physics when it comes to doors. And our next game here is called Save Your Nuts, which, um, which is a game where you play as various critters, dogs, beavers, whatever, on spaceships and they have their own little homes, so it's very cute. Um, but actually the game has nothing to do with nuts, like the, like the nut, it has to do with like your testicles. So it's a really disgusting, disgusting play on words. Uh, and I'm really sickened by the fact that somehow you can make a game all about testicles and have it rated E for everyone. But the good news is there is that a uh, new ESRB in-app purchases thing on there. So, Hey, even though kids are going to learn about testicles now in this in this all ages game, at least their parents are are, are notified of the in app purchases. Our next game here is called Cryo Gear. It is it is a, a low poly indie game. Our next game is called Sinker, and it is an iPhone Apple Arcade looking game. Our next game is called Sunless Sea, a submarine edition, which means that uh that's a stupid name for a game and it's got delayed a week it looks like it's coming out april 24th now and then our next game here is called freak out calamity tv show which looks like a top-down shooter so might have to check that out because top-down shooters are are fun there are there are fun games i recommend it although it looks like in this top-down shooter there's a very very dirty environment with baby bottles and drug needles so this is i assume a boss baby game about a retired boss baby who uh who stopped hitting the bottle and started hitting the needle. So still you get to shoot stuff. Our next game here is called Woodle Tree 2 Deluxe Plus. Literally just go play Mario. This actually looks like a little a little Mario knockoff. Uh, it actually looks kind of cute. I might have to look into it because I am so jaded on Nintendo now that I might actually just play Mario knockoffs instead of the actual uh, the actual Mario franchise, which is still pretty great. See my rant on Super Lucky's Tale for more. And that is it. Reminder for Games with Gold, we got Project Cars for the whole month. You got Knights of Pen and Paper Bundle from April 16th through May 15th, so you can start downloading that as of the time this podcast goes live. And then Fable Anniversary on the 360 side, no longer available. You missed it, you idiot. And then our last game is Toy Box Turbos, which is available through the end of April. And that is going to do it for our podcast this week. Thank you for bearing with me through a, an unusually long episode. But, hey, that just longer podcast, uh... Less time you have to be cognizant of the world around you. So you're welcome. Five star rating, guys. Don't forget. Five star ratings. I know you got I know you got time on your hands. I know you got money in your wallets. The government's got you padded. So hook me up. Give me them five stars. Donate to me on Patreon. 
follow me on social media at uh, Microsoft Office, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much.